not a Negro, it's the black, I'm a Moorish American. Peace. Yeah. Hey, five on the right, two on the left, man. You know what time it is. Just moors in America Soared through the shores And endured criminal acts of war On our character Seven years after the fourth score No reward Shout out to the most courageous They was jumping over barriers Where does that compare to you? We come from a place Where you scared to visit our area We come from a place Where it's scary for good Samaritans Heavy luggage we carrying Babies having babies It's crazy being American Praise the one and only Allah There's no comparison La ilaha Body and very gin, laughing at you clowns like ha ha, dodging a Nephilim. Conquer lower self with a high, follow your regimen. Way before they came, we were gods, and now we specimen. Tried to take the light from our eyes, thank God for Edison. Then they put the wool on our eyes, it's so embarrassing. Now we travel frequently, we should invest in Sheraton. All of us got gold on our bodies whenever we stepping in. Screaming Ramadan, move a rock, training the flesh again. Wishing we could move as a unit, just like the Mexicans, dodging all the foods with estrogen, synthetic medicines, all sin is devilish. Sometimes the decisions that you make come for a better gift. Sometimes when you sin is to relate to all your brethren. Heavenly gates all in our face, we the champions. We live in the sky, we see the angels on the chariots. Waiting on the $20 bill, face a Harriet. I bet you I'ma carry it. I'm in love with music to the point I wanna marry it. But my love for people is greater, so I write messages. Largest spending power, but we still sit at a deficit. Living amongst prejudice, even at our residence. Moors in America, flourishing, excellent. Let's buy up some neighborhoods and grow my own president. Yeah. And I come to you today with all intentions of spreading love, truth. Peace, freedom, and justice. All right, peace, peace, Moors. Excuse me, peace. I know it's been a while. I know it's been a while. We're going live right now. We're going to speak on MLK, late great Martin Luther King Jr. Before we do that, though, I want to say this. This video represents the views of the presenters. And it's based off of our personal research and life experience. So this is in no way content that is endorsed by or an official um, representation of the policies of any other organizations. We just... You know, I'm just keeping it real. This is just me going off the dome and going off of my own research. But before we do this, before we kick it off, we always give honor. I raise giving the highest praise to the most high, the creator of and sustainer of worlds, our Father God allowed. Give honor to our divine prophet, Noble Drali, for bringing us our divine creed and nationality. 
we also send honors to the forerunner to the prophet. And we extend honors to everything Moorish, covering everything Moorish. So we give in honors to everybody out there, to all the faithful Moorish Americans, Muslims, all the light bringers watching right now, especially to you. Because I know you're going to hit that like and share button because that's how we spread and get our information out there. This is how we grow. It's totally organic. It's totally grassroots, right? So this is how we spread it. So we want to give honors to you as well. And good afternoon or good evening, everybody. You're listening to the True and Living, Lightbringer, Morris in America. As always, I'm your brother, Lloyd Douglas L., also known as Sharif Ali. Here, we uncover and bring glorious light to all issues pertinent to the Moorish American paradigm. That's what we do on this podcast known as Moorish in America. So I hope everybody's having an amazing, an amazing afternoon, amazing evening. And if you wouldn't mind, please share this broadcast on your favorite social media platform. I mean, Facebook. We're on Twitter now. So now we're broadcasting in, in technology. Amazing. We're broadcasting on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at the same time. So everybody hit the share button. Everybody like and share. Let's get these algorithms up and going. And we're going to expand further on the topic. We're going to speak about the true legacy of MLK. And, of course, we pay honors to MLK. We pay honors to him and, um, to, you know, to the work that he did. But we're going to speak on it all today. Okay, we're not holding anything back. So you definitely don't want to miss this. And it's definitely something that you want to share with your friends and family, even for the children to hear this, so that they can learn, so that they can know what's going on. All right, so that's what we do here. Um, before we get started, though, I do want to say, make sure to subscribe and check out our website, www.moresinamerica.com. If you haven't already, I don't know why, but if you haven't, make sure you go and do that. Save that website, moresinamerica.com. You can also support on the platform Patreon. We will be having exclusive content on the Patreon. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Moors in America. Okay, you can also send um, donations too on PayPal. PayPal.me forward slash Lloyd, L-L-O-Y-D-M-D. We're also on anchor.fm for everyone. Um, you can get Anchor. Anchor is great. You can just listen to the podcast. You can listen in your car, wherever you're at. That's anchor.fm forward slash Moorish dash Americans. And um, just wanted to share a few things.
All right. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Um, I did want to share something with you real quick, though, and that's, um, I don't know. Okay, yeah, good, good. So you should be able to see that up on the screen, right? Okay, so check this out, right? I was just speaking about how the Instagram account just got shut down just out the blue, right? No real warning or anything. They do this all the time, okay? So if you're looking at the screen, I'll describe it for people that can't see the screen, but if you're looking at the screen, you see there's an article up here that says Financial Times. PsyOps are crucial weapon against disinformation. Now, this um, article was originally on the Financial Times website. And as you can see, it says Financial Times PsyOps are crucial weapon against disinformation. So it's it's speaking in the positive about PsyOps being used to battle disinformation. Okay, and um, that in and of itself is a PSYOP just the way that they're describing it. Um, you can't read the article on Financial Times website because it's behind a paywall, meaning you have to pay, you have to subscribe to read it. But somebody actually put the entire article up here on this website, brightbeardbart.com, so that you can see it, right? So PSYOPs, psychological operations. Okay, what are PSYOPs? For anyone that doesn't know, what are PSYOPs? Psychological operations are operations to convey selected information and indicators to audiences to limit their emotions, motives, and objective reasoning. To, to limit your objective reasoning. So you can't think for yourself and reason things out. And ultimately, the behavior of governments, organizations, groups, and individuals. The purpose of United States psychological operations is to induce or reinforce behavior favorable to U.S. objectives. Okay, so this is real. And, um, you know, psychological operations, these are things that you would think, and normally you see Marine Reserve, Army, um, Marine Corps, Air Force, Army, Army Reserve, Navy. You, you would think this is something, okay, they use this over in foreign countries, right? Somalian boy holding up a leaflet, like they, they send the little leaflet out the, you know, drop them from the sky to show them, oh, we're good. We're coming to help you, even though they're coming actually to destabilize their country to put their own people in power, right? So they do this, but they're doing it on to their own people, right? And so um, the Financial Times, they're painting it as a good thing. Hey, we need to use PSYOPs. It's a crucial weapon against disinformation. What is disinformation? Disinformation is any information that we're putting out to stimulate other people's objective reasoning, right? I mean, I can't even mention what it would what are some of the topics that you could be talking about because they'll they'll take down the whole video, the channel, everything. Right. So there's real it's it's like it's real. And um the things that are going on right now, there's a like a last ditch effort to make sure that people aren't thinking for themselves. Everyone's just taking the jab or whatever it is that's being promoted. No one's using objective reasoning. So PSYOPs are a crucial weapon against disinformation. And then it's saying it's Financial Times, a leading voice of global neoliberalism, neoliberalism has praised psychological influence operations, better known as PSYOPs, as a valuable weapon in the war against disinformation. Right. So um, and as it says here is saying uh, disinformation and online propaganda to amplify 
that. I say that out loud. And pollutions. U.S. Head of Swedish Navy's new PSYOPs division believes foreign aggressors are trying to sow division by targeting areas of public concern such as crime. That stuff can't talk about that. The government's response to the pandemic and immigration. Right. So this is and it's just saying like um, a lot of this. You can't see it yourself unless you're a subscriber to the Financial Times. But it's saying this is behind a paywall. But that's with that stuff. The most important task, they're talking about the jab, in psychological defense is to inoculate the population against believing false information, a job that Sweden's new agency will also handle. Okay, so they're they're letting it be known, hey, psyops are a crucial weapon (laughs) in the war, you know, against disinformation. Right. So, yeah, they shut the the IG down. So um, if you're on IG, make sure you go. Follow the page now. It's at Moors in America. We have the same, got the same username, at Moors in America. Share that. Tell everybody to go and follow that page. Uh, we were putting real info out. That's why they shut it down, just out the blue. It was like 30,000 followers on there, right? So let's get that back up. And um, also, if, you, if you're if with the truth, getting the truth out there, make sure you hit like and share this video, right? I mean, you see they're coming at us just for putting real information out. Okay, and they're letting it be known. (laughs) Psyops, the people are so far gone, so docile that they can even put this out there in the open. Hey, psyops are a crucial weapon against disinformation, and people don't even think anything of it, right? So let's let's get that out there. Everybody help to get that out there and to let people know what's really going on. And um, on that note, though, let's go ahead and get started. We're gonna talk about MLK, but I did just want to let you know that. Also, real quick. I just want to let everyone know, for especially for all the business owners out there, um, whatever type of business you have, hopefully you're online. If you're just now getting started, getting online, we can help you out. We do. We have a full service marketing agency. Make sure you go to realtrafficmarketing.com. All right, make sure you go to realtrafficmarketing.com for all your marketing needs. Okay. And yeah, like like I was saying, there, you know, um, it's like a last ditch effort, you know, to try to stop people from just sharing the truth. That's it. Sharing the truth. And um, let's see if we could get these slides up here. I see we have something new on here. See if we could share the slides. All right. So more is just um, bear with me. But um, once again, I would just say everybody click the like and the share button. All right. We're going to try something new. And uh, let's see. Let's see how many people we have on Twitter. Everybody on Twitter, too. Share this video. Let's help help get that information out there. Okay. You see what they're doing. I mean, there's no shame in the game, right? They're letting it be known that, you know, psyops are a crucial weapon. So that's that's crazy. Like, that's that's really ridiculous. But that's where we're at with this right now, okay? So it's it's no game. It's, it's not a game out here. And um, <clears throat> as I said today, we're speaking on the brother MLK. 
all right? The true life and legacy of our brother. So we're going to keep it all the way real here, all right? Speaking on MLK, um, not just the usual, you know, what, what they tell everybody in school, right? Because that's like the soft candy version of what MLK was really about. But we're going to speak on the truth, okay? So we have the timeline. We're going to go over his life um, from the beginning all the way up to the assassination. And we're going to speak on the real legacy and what was really going on in that time period, right? It's really important to understand that, okay? And and um, we'll just start from the beginning, right? So just looking at the timeline on here, it says... Um, what is the date of birth? Like 1929? Hang on, Morris. Looks like the screen's freezing up. All right, so... <clears throat> okay, here we go. So we got the date of birth, 1929, saying his father changed their name to Martin Luther. You know, like, what, what was that all about, right? Like, his name was actually Michael King. That's, he was named after his father. So why, why was his name changed, right? And um, everything that you're going to see me share, the, the um, sources are all in the, the description. So whether you're listening on, um, on the audio or you're looking at the video, you can just go to the description to get more information on the sources. But, um, okay, so Michael King, they obviously done had the same ring to it, right? So Michael King Sr., his father, he changed his name to Martin Luther, but a lot of people don't know this, right? When he changed his name to Martin Luther, right, his name was Michael King, it's because he went to Germany, right? Him and some other preachers, some other Baptist preachers, um, their church is paid to send them to go to uh, Europe, to go to Germany for this um, this seminary, right? It was like, it was like a, you know, like a, um, um, basically like a, a meeting of different, um, I think it was different church sects. They were meeting in Germany, right? And so his father went there and basically he came back and changed his name to Martin Luther. And it also changed his son's name, right? So that in and of itself is, you know, it's weird because you look at Martin Luther, the original Martin Luther, Right. He was born in 1483, died in 1546. The founder of the Protestant church. Right. The Baptist sect, one of his branches was the denomination of of of, of course, Martin Luther King, senior and junior. Right. All right. But Martin Luther, the original was a rebel. Right. He said, here I stand. I can do no other. This is one of his quotes. And then, of course, the Protestant church was. um basically protesting against the Catholic church, right? They're breaking against um, rule of the Pope, okay? So Martin Luther's trying to align himself with that energy. And, and when I say Martin Luther, I, I know that's confusing, but Michael King was trying to align himself and his son with that energy. They're creating something, right? Specifically creating something. So he's trying to align themselves with this energy, this Protestant, this protester, this rebel, this martyr, literally a martyr, right? Because Martin Luther King got burned at the stake, right? 
And so, yeah, you know, you see this MLK that, you know, the oppressive structure, that's what he's fighting against, right? They, they did marches and speeches and sit-ins. He's getting arrested. His followers were getting beaten, but he refused to budge. Here I stand. I think they even had some signs like that, like um, before he got assassinated in, in um, Memphis, right? When they, they were uh, fighting with the sanitation workers. I think they even had signs that said, like, here I stand. But um, basically, his father made the trip to Germany, made a pilgrimage to Germany. And that's where he received this persona of Martin Luther, got that placed on him. And then he came back and he christened himself and his son with the name Martin Luther. So that was put on him, one their, one their original name, right? He went to Europe, changed his name, came back, put that on his son and put that martyrdom on him as well, right? Because like he's an American civil rights martyr, right? Of course, he's been turned into a, um, you know, international worldwide hero, but he was put unto that, that energy of martyrdom. So that was with him. That, he was riding with that martyr energy his whole entire life, right? Because he, uh, he wasn't born with that name. He was born in 29. His father gave him that name by the time he was five. So he took that energy on. He literally took that on. And um, <clears throat> as I was saying, right, Martin Luther, the original, he actually wound up getting burnt at the stake, right, for going up against the Catholic Church. Right. But um, as it's saying here, his father went to this um, in this Baptist Fifth World Congress in Berlin. Right. So he goes to Europe. He's in Germany. And you got to think at this point in time. The preachers, you know, had handlers, literally. They had different people in the church, maybe higher up in, you know, whatever um, system that they're in. It's advising them. Oh, this is the way you should go. This is what we think you guys should do. We think you should move like this, right? So they're not completely independent, just making these choices completely of their own free will, right? They're being advised, okay? And, um, <clears throat> I mean, that's real. That's not just... You know, me just throwing stuff out there, right? So a lot of the decisions and things that they're making, they're getting advice. This is how we should move, um, especially with the so-called Negro Christian preachers, right? So they're not necessarily just, you know, just doing whatever they want to do, whatever they feel like doing, right? They're getting advised, okay? And um, especially with this brother, right? So, um he put the martyrdom role on his son, literally. He put that on him. And not saying it, you know, out of content or like with any ill ill will or anything like that. Just saying like that was the energy that Martin Luther King had. The um, Not Martin Luther King, but the original Martin Luther. He actually, you know, he, he suffered. He wound up getting burned at the stake. And he was a martyr, right, for the Protestants. And the same thing with... Martin Luther King Jr. He was riding with that energy for at least a decade or possibly more before his actual assassination. Okay. And, um, you know, I want this, uh, we're going to cover Martin Luther King's life. Um, I don't mean any disrespect or anything at all. We're going to speak, we're going to speak freely and openly. We have to tell the whole truth, right? So in no way is this man in disrespect or anything like that, because the brother actually did a lot of good, good work. So there's no disrespect 
at all. But <clears throat> and since we're speaking on that, the brother now is celebrated. He's celebrated even by the FBI, which is ironic because in his lifetime, he was under FBI surveillance. This is um, a letter that's up that um, is part of some of the sealed files that had just been unsealed, like just like um, maybe two decades ago, maybe even less than that, right? FBI files on Martin Luther King, okay? They were literally following his brother everywhere he went. They were bugging his house, bugging the hotel rooms, paying in, um, people that were around him or setting up people to be around him to, you know, just to, just to spy on him. snitches, you know? They had all of this going on, right? Because of the position that he was in. He was in a position of leadership. And one of the things that um, we now know about, we now know about Cointelpro, which at that time, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, the people didn't know there's an actual government organization called Cointelpro that has as its tenets. One of its tenets is to prevent the rise of a black messiah. So they actually have this um, this goal to monitor, to surveil any and every leader within our community, right? To make sure they have hands on them. And if possible, that they can um, blackmail them, you know, set them up, make sure that they can keep them in line, keep them in control. And so if you see this letter, this letter is like, this is despicable, right? Um, this is a letter that was actually typed and sent to King from the FBI. And this came from government um, Freedom of Information Act released, you know, to the public, right? So this isn't like conspiracy or anything like that. It said, and if you just read just some of it, it says, in view of your low grade, abnormal personal behavior, I will not dignify your name with either Mr. or Reverend or Doctor. And your last name calls to mind only the type of king, such as King Henry VIII, and his countless acts of adultery and immoral conduct, conduct lower than that of a beast. King, look into your heart. You know you are a complete fraud and a great liability to all of us Negroes. White people in this country have enough frauds of their own, but I am sure they don't have one at this time that is anywhere near your equal. You are no clergyman and you know it. I repeat, you are a colossal fraud and an evil, vicious one at that. You cannot believe in God and act as you do. Clearly, you don't believe in any personal moral principles. They're trying to tell him to commit suicide in this letter. Like, we got all this dirt on you. We know you cheating, sleeping around, doing all this stuff. You should go on and kill yourself. And you got this much time to do it, or we're gonna release all this. Right. And now the whole thing get down. Right. We're gonna skip through this a little bit. No person can overcome facts, not even a fraud like yourself. Lend your sexually psychotic ear to the enclosure. You will find yourself in all your dirt, filth, evil, and moronic talk exposed on the record for all time. I repeat, no person can argue successfully against facts right so they let them know they got all this dirt on him and they're going to expose it right satan could not do more what incredible evilness it is all there on the record your sexual orgies listen to yourself you filthy abnormal animal you are on the record you have been on the record all your adulterous acts right and they're going on and on and on and it says the american public it says king you are done the american public 
the church organizations that have been helping Protestant, Catholic, and Jew will know you for what you are, evil, abnormal beast. King, there's only one thing left for you to do. You know what it is. You have just 34 days in which to do. This exact number has been selected for a specific reason, <laughs> right? You are done. There's but one way out for you. You better take it before your filthy, abnormal, fraudulent self is bared to the nation. So they're threatening him. They're threatening him and letting him know like they've been communicating with him. Like, look, this is the only way out for you to maintain some dignity. You need to kill yourself or, or go willingly. <laughs> you know, like somebody's going to kill you. They're letting them know, like, you, you got to die. <clears throat> okay, that's the only way out without us exposing all this, letting everyone know about your ways, right? So, you know, this is what they did. They follow all the leaders, try to get whatever dirt they got on them, right? And then use it to blackmail you right? Maybe even sending women at you to see if they can get you like that. But what is he like? What do you do? Drugs? What? What's he into? Right? And it's all about flipping it back on you and, you know, later on using it to manipulate you to, to control you. And it's funny because this thing that's up on the screen says the time is always right to do what is right. That's actually in front of the FBI's um, like one of their, their headquarters, maybe even in D.C., <laughs> right. It says the FBI ramped up its surveillance efforts and led to the only major dirt it ever dug up on King that is widely known. And that's his serial adultery. Right. There's a film now. Um, I think. Let's see, what's it? Is it is it FBI slash MLK? There's a film that's actually out. Right. Like a documentary. It's, um, you know, goes up to the point of his assassination. It shows how the FBI used all this info against him, right? Right, sending the tape of King with other women to his wife, along with the letter urging him to kill himself. So they were like literally doing this. And then now they're on Twitter, like they on Twitter talking about, we, you know, we honor King, <laughs> right? All these years later, they're, they're honoring King on his birthday. This is a quote from the FBI Twitter, right? At FBI on Twitter <laughs> says today, the FBI honors the work of the reverend and then they got his quote etched in stone at the fbi academy's reflection garden in quantico as a reminder to all students and fbi employees the time is always to do right so that's how they act now right that's at the garden at the fbi headquarters right etched in stone right and so this is how they they're inspired by him now after like when he was here he was an enemy okay and so anyone that's an enemy of these people who actually have um, a division that is set up to prevent the rise of a black Messiah, that means they must be doing something right. They must be doing, or at least thinking about doing something for the people. And we're going to talk about that though. And we're not just going to talk about it. We're going to show you what was really going on. Right. So um, <clears throat> as it says here, right, not even long after his famous speech at the March on Washington, right. For the jobs and freedom, in, in August 1963, a memo circulating around the FBI called him the most dangerous Negro of the future in this nation. And then they urged the Bureau to use every resource at their disposal to destroy him. Okay. And okay, yeah, that documentary I was talking about is MLK slash FBI. Right. So anyone that wants to, you can go and, and look at that, check that out. Um, you know, it's 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 crazy, right? That 
you know, you see all of this because they don't talk about it at all. Right now, the FBI, you see them putting out here showing how they pay honors to uh, MLK, right? They pay honor to him, but they were trying to get him to kill himself. They're blackmailing him, right? While he was here in the flesh, he was the most dangerous man in America, at least one of the most dangerous, right? But they don't teach the children about this in school, do they? Right? When he was here, Europeans hated him. They couldn't stand him. Now everybody loves him, right? Just like uh, our brother uh, Muhammad Ali, they couldn't stand him while he was alive. But at his funeral, who's there? Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, all of these people, they couldn't stand him while he was alive. He was the enemy, right? Because he, he spoke the truth, right? He stood for something. They couldn't stand him while he was alive, okay? And, um, you know, just going back to this timeline, right, on his life, we see um, how he, he enrolled in college at age 15 at Morehouse, right? He was ordained and became a minister at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta in 1948, right? So he's a young man, and he became uh, the, the leader of the church. And then he began his journey like that he was on as far as being a leader within the civil rights movement, okay? And um, one of the things that I want to talk about, though, is something that's like, you know, not so great about King's legacy. But I'm not even like coming at him or attacking him or saying there's anything wrong with him about this. But something that a lot of people don't know, right, is that King and a lot of preachers were aligned with Planned Parenthood. Like they were married to Planned Parenthood. And and when you say Planned Parenthood, there's a lot that goes into that because um, Planned Parenthood was started by this lady named Margaret Sanger, right? Margaret Sanger is like, man, she's a monster. I mean, like she's literally a beast. Um, what's her name? Hillary Clinton says on the record that <laughs> Martin Luther, I'm not Martin that Margaret Sanger is her hero, right? And she caught no flack for that. Like literally, she caught no flack for that. And it's crazy because Margaret Sanger is on the record saying the most heinous things ever, right? Like she's on the record saying we should hire three or four colored ministers, preferably with social service backgrounds and with engaging personalities the most successful educated approach to the Negro is through a religious appeal. We don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. Okay. And when you're seeing this, um, the reason this is up here is because Margaret Sanger was about getting abortions um, accepted amongst the people and having it paid for by the government, having it government-sanctioned, government-paid for abortions, right? And um, she started this back in the early 1900s, and she actually got it into effect. It got put into effect. You see this picture? Now, I don't, I don't know if this picture is doctored or not. <laughs> it says, the woman in this photograph is Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood, meeting with the Ku Klux Klan in 1926, Silver Lake, New Jersey. Right. She was a strong advocate of eugenics. Right. 
She preached mass extension of inferior races by mass abortions. Eugenics is all about controlling and, if possible, um, having genocide against certain ethnic groups. That's what eugenics is about. It's all about controlling and, and potential genocide for ethnic groups. Okay. And she was big. She was huge on eugenics. Okay. Um, what I just quoted though, with her saying about using the colored ministers to get our community to accept this whole Planned Parenthood abortion thing. Right. This was from Margaret Sanger's letter in 1939 to Dr. Clarence Gamble. And this dude, this dude Gamble, he's loaded. This is, this is the heir to Procter and Gamble. Right. And he was big on eugenics, huge. Right. And so she said this in 1939. And, and the reason they were able to use the ministers to do this, is because you always had this relationship ever since our people took on the religion and Christianity of, of our oppressors, right? You had either, they would literally give you a European minister who's telling you what to do. This is what the Bible says. This is who you are in the Bible and just literally telling you what to do and think, right? Or, okay, you got your own minister, but guess what? We got them under our thumb, right? And so she's saying we should hire three or four colored ministers, preferably with social service backgrounds and with engaging personalities, right? The most successful educational approach to the Negro is through a religious appeal, right? So they study us. They know, oh, this is how we get to them, the religion. We don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members, okay? Um, also from Margaret Sanger, we should apply a stern and rigid policy of sterilization and segregation to that grade of population whose progeny is tainted or whose inheritance is such that objectionable traits may be transmitted to offspring. Right. She said that in 1932. Give dysgenic uh, groups, people with bad genes in our population, their choice of segregation or compulsory sterilization. She said that in 1832 in her birth control review, which is like this magazine or um publication that she had where she's just going on about eugenics she laid it out nobody can come back now and say oh she wasn't a bad person or planned parenthood wasn't started to to help to eradicate these people control their numbers right she laid it out she said in 1922 and birth control must lead ultimately to a cleaner race right so hillary clinton can't walk back those words that this is her hero you know, the people didn't hold her to it, right? Because the people were asleep. Um, the Planned Parenthood Federation of America has been protective of Margaret Sanger's reputation and defensive of allegations that she was racist, right? So they're going to say the, the attacks on her, they're coming from, you know, anti-choice activists, right? People who are, you know, support life, you know, don't support abortions. But, uh, they can't ignore the fact that Sanger edited the birth control review from its inception up until 1929. So under her leadership, the magazine featured articles that embraced the eugenics position. So if she was anti-eugenics. Why didn't she say, look, don't put that in here. I don't, I don't want people thinking I'm with this. She was with it. Right. And look at this. She worked closely with W.E.B. Dubois on her Negro project. 
an effort to expose Southern black women to birth control. Remember, she said they either need to accept segregation or forced sterilization. And they did this to a lot of women up until the 70s. Asiatic women were getting sterilized by their doctors and they didn't even know it. They didn't even know it until later on when they're trying to have a baby. Uh, Mary McLeod Bethune and Adam Clayton Powell Jr. were also involved in the effort to expose Southern black women to birth control, to make it acceptable. Much later, Dr. Martin Luther King accepted an award from Planned Parenthood. He got the Margaret Sanger Award and he complimented the organization's efforts. Right. So even if her views evolved over time, like, come on now. She spoke about ways to solve the Negro problem in the United States. And she got all these respectable boule Negroes to work with her on the Negro project to expose Southern black women to birth control. Right. And once again, the links, if you want to get more on these sources, are in the um, description. Right. So this is no joke. Right. She's on the record saying we don't want we're going to use the preachers because we don't want them to know that, you know, we don't want the word going out that we're trying to exterminate the Negro population. Okay, And so um, have a couple more quotes in March 20, 1925. Five, international birth control gathering in New York City. A speaker warned of the menace posed by the black and yellow peril. The man was not a Nazi or a Klansman. He was Dr. S. Aldolfus Knopf, a member of Margaret Sanger's American Birth Control League. And that later became known as Planned Parenthood. Not to be outdone by her followers, Margaret Sanger spoke of sterilizing those she's designed, uh, designated as unfit. She said that would be the salvation of American civilization. And while Planned Parenthood's current apologists try to place distance between eugenics and birth control movements, right? The history says otherwise. She can't walk that back. She started the birth. She ed- over. She in 1917. She published articles like some moral aspects of eugenics, June 1920, the eugenic cons- conscience. February 1929, the purpose of eugenics. She giving you the purpose of eugenics in December 1924, right? I mean, it goes on and on. She wrote all these articles. She published them about eugenics. That's what she was about. So they gave people awards, not knocking Dr. Martin Luther King or W.E.B. Du Bois or any of these people, but she's working with them because they're they're a part of it. They're a part of the the black face that they need to get the word out into the community to get us to accept this right so the eugenic and racial origins are hardly what people really associate nowadays with Planned Parenthood the Planned Parenthood Federation of America right but that's what it was about because that's what it was created for and that's when why when when it gave its Margaret Sanger award to uh, the late Dr. Martin Luther King in 1966 and the current president, or at least at the time this article was written, the current president was Faye Waddleton, who's uh, an Asiatic woman, a former nurse. Remember I said you had you had Asiatic women who were getting forced sterilization on them, right? At least as far as we know, up into the 70s, they didn't even know it was being done, right? So you have a former nurse now who um, 
is or was the president of Planned Parenthood Federation of America. So it doesn't matter. They have to get us in position in order to get the people to take this on, right? Um, I was speaking earlier about that, that letter she wrote to Dr. Clarence Gamble from Procter & Gamble, where she's talking about using the Negro preachers to get our people to take this on, right? This is, this is, this is no joke. Like, this is for real, man. Um, in, in 1939, right, Sanger's larger vision for dealing with the reproductive practices of Black Americans emerged after the 1939 uh, merger of her clinical research bureau and the ABCL to form the Birth Control Federation of America, Dr. Clarence J. Gamble was selected to become the uh, regional director for the South. Dr. Gamble of the soap manufacturing Procter & Gamble Company. He was no newcomer to Sanger's organization. He previously served as director at large, right? Gamble lost no time and drew up a memorandum, 1939 November, entitled Suggestion for Negro Project. This is all on the record, acknowledging that black leaders might regard birth control as an extermination plot. He suggested that black leaders be placed in positions where it would appear that they were in charge, right? Um, it was evident from the rest of the memo that Gamble conceived the project almost as a traveling roadshow. A charismatic black minister was to start a revival with contributions to come from other local cooperating ministers. A colored nurse would follow supported by a subsidized colored doctor. Gamble even suggested that music might be a useful lure to bring the prospects to a meeting. This is still how they treat us to this day, you know, with the music. Let me show y'all something, man. This the music, right? Like you see how lowly they think of us, right? Oh, we just get a colored minister to come out. They love religion, right? This is how they treat us. And then, I mean, look, they still do this to this day. They still do this to this day. Let me show you something, man. It's it's crazy, right? So um, yeah, the baby, BET Awards. Look at how they do us today, right? So um, I'm not gonna play this because you know YouTube and strikes and stuff like that. But there's this video. This dude, the baby, he had his performance at the BET Music Awards. Right, and um, I'm gonna see if I can get pictures because, like, man, you play the video, they try to hit you with the copyright strikes, even even when the stuff is like on mute, right? So, okay, this is perfect. All right, so first off, it's it's and this ain't an attack on these people, you know, I don't care about these people, man, it's not an attack on them, but look, man, first off, dude's grown, he's a grown man, his name's the baby, and what is he talking about in his music? Nothing stupidity, ignorance, right? Violence, ignorance, drugs, sex, right? But he's literally, look, the, I guess this is like his his uh, little caricature or something. He got a big baby. They got a dude in a baby suit with a diaper. And and like in the video, the, the, the damn dude in the baby suit is humping the women. The women are all like extremely sexual. They like on the ground, you know, busting it wide open and everything. And the dude is in the damn baby suit with a diaper humping on them right and i'm just showing this because like this is how like they 
they got us or how we got ourselves right they got us figured out they're like look we can do the dumbest stuff we can do anything these this is how these people think they'll be entertained by it they'll love it right and so you know this is how they do us and you know a lot of us are going for it a lot of us are going for this mess right so let, let me get back to this though um not to get too distracted with that it's just it's despicable it's despicable you should be fed up with this mess hopefully you are so um going back to this um i'm i'm reading this for a reason man i'm, I'm hoping everybody's paying attention this is ridiculous now this gamble dude i'm gonna talk about him a little bit but this dr clarence gamble from proctor and gamble heir of the proctor and gamble empire right he's been working with sanger for years right and he designed this negro project talking about suggestion for a negro project that they need to have black leaders in there to convince the people and it's like a traveling road show a charismatic black minister is going to start the revival they're going to have other local cooperating ministers a colored nurse would follow supported by a subsidized colored doctor gamble even suggested that music might be a useful lure to bring the prospects to a meeting who are the prospects regular asiatic people so-called negroes to get them to come and listen to these ministers and doctors and nurses tell them how uh abortions are a good thing you guys need this abort your little babies right this is what they're coming to make you think it's cool sanger answered gamble on december 10th 1939 agreeing with the assessment she wrote we do not want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten that idea out if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. Right? So if somebody is rebellious, like Malcolm X saying, hey, they're just trying to kill us off. They just got the smooth talking Christian preacher to come in there and say, oh, no, this is something that we need. This is for the people. And to just say a couple smooth words and everybody's like, oh, yeah, he's right. You know, they playing that music. I like that music because because Gamble even suggested that music might be a useful lure to bring the prospects to the meeting. So they got the music. They got the doctor and the nurse and the preachers there. They not listening to the rebellious members who's like, nah, man, they just trying to kill us. It don't. It don't. So they got us figured out and it worked. It worked. In 1940, money for two Negro project demonstration programs in Southern states was donated by advertising magnate Albert D. Lasker and his wife. So this it went down and it worked. Okay, they had the plan and they put it to work. Um, you know what, Clarence Gamble? Let me show you a little something about this dude real quick. Okay, and look, Morris. Um, this is how they did it. This is how they did it. And this this is like this isn't attacking Dr. King. He wasn't the mastermind of any of this. He was getting used. Everybody was getting used. You saw that it said W.E.B. Du Bois. All of these people were being used. Used as tools of destruction. OK, being used against their own people. OK, and um, this is how they got down. OK, um, I, you know what? Before we do that, let me show you something. Uh, at, actually, his niece, uh, Martin Luther King's niece, had come out saying that if, you know, Martin Luther King knew how they were using his name today, 
he would be disturbed, right? Because they, every year around his birthday, they come out talking about how he won the Margaret Sanger Award for Planned Parenthood, right? Now, I'm not going to play the video, right? Because YouTube, man. Um, but um, his niece says her uncle would be disturbed by Planned Parenthood videos, right? Uh, says Alveda King, niece of Dr. Martin Luther King, told the Daily Signal her uncle would have been very disturbed by the video showing Planned Parenthood executives discussing the harvesting of fetal body parts. There's a video that had gotten um, exposed a couple years ago, showed these executives discussing selling body parts from babies who had been aborted. Okay? And it's real. But they brushed it under the rug and most people didn't even care. But this really happened. My uncle, Dr. Martin Luther King, often said that the Negro cannot win if he's willing to sacrifice the futures of his children for immediate personal comfort and safety. And while she's a civil rights leader herself, therefore, we should never vote for a candidate who does not value human life from conception or fertilization until natural death. Right. So she's insinuating that he actually was against that stuff. Okay. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., my uncle, my father, his brother, Reverend Alfred, uh, my granddaddy, Daddy King, who helped my mother not abort me and helped me not abort one of my babies. They all would have been disturbed and very prayerful about the videos that are now out with the officials of Planned Parenthood negotiating and talking about the sale or harvesting of body parts. Okay, for years, King has said that black communities have been tricked by Planned Parenthood slick marketing. Right. This is his niece saying this. Okay. It is said to black women, in order to be a good Negro, you need to control the number of babies you have. The campaign started with Margaret Sanger many years ago. Okay. So this is his niece coming out saying this. And I believe she says in here too, how she's mad, how they roll this little thing out every year around his birthday, trying to talk about how King was associated with them. But that's what they do. That's what they do. Okay. And I'm, I'm telling you this just so you know, it's, it's not just me saying it. It's not just me. And, um, you know, this might not sound good, but it, it ain't all good, people. It ain't all good. All of the preachers got used. All of the leaders got used. Everyone was being approached. And if they had some dirt on you, they got you. <laughs> okay, that's how they did it. We're going to talk about this gamble dude, though, real quick. Now, this, this gamble dude is the dude that that um, Margaret Sanger was writing this letter to, right, where they're discussing the Negro Project. Now, this is important. And um, if you look at Dr. Clarence Gamble, right, he was the heir to Procter & Gamble, right? I know y'all probably heard of Procter & Gamble before. Might not know what they do, but it's a powerful multinational consumer goods corporation, right? But if you look at his Wikipedia, he's all about eugenics. It, it don't really say anything about Procter & Gamble, except that he was a doctor and the heir of the Procter & Gamble soap company, Fortune. Right? He was lit. He was rich. He was an advocate of birth control and eugenics and founder of Pathfinder International. You want to know what Pathfinder International is? Y'all should know this stuff. Right? It's a global nonprofit organization that focuses on reproductive health, family planning, HIV, AIDS prevention and care, and maternal health, right? 
It operates in more than 15 low and middle income countries in Africa and South Asia, right? Where they need to control the um, population to get the darkies, right? Now saying reproductive health, that sounds better than saying abortions. Family planning, that sounds better than saying shut your family down, don't have any kids, right? Forced sterilization, HIV, AIDS, prevention and care and maternal health, right? That That's really what they're doing, right? And so this is a global organization and they're going to wherever the darkies are to control their population, okay? So if you see this, you see something about the Pathfinder International, now you know what it's really about. This ain't no, this is not a game, okay? And so that's how come when you look at this biography, when you really look at this, it's all about eugenics. Dr. Clarence Gamble was elected president of the board of directors, the Pathfinder, 1957, blah, 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 Pathfinder, to make birth control available, right? The work of Pathfinder, the Pathfinder Fund to make birth control available began some 28 years later in 1929 when Clarence Gamble gave 5000 to open a maternal health clinic in Cincinnati, Ohio, along with Margaret Sanger working on projects since the Negro Project. This is on Wikipedia, right? He spearheaded the movement to gain a for birth spearheaded the to gain acceptance for birth control in the United States. It, it was on the slides. It was just up, right? They would they were getting the, the Negro preacher to come and smooth talk the people and they get the Negro nurse, the colored nurse or whatever they calling us at that time, colored Negro. They get the colored doctor to come out. So you got a minister and a nurse and a doctor, right? Telling the people, birth control is good for you. We all need to do birth control. And so they got us on board, right? A charismatic, he had to be charismatic. We need a charismatic black minister to start the revival. And and, and Sanger just answered him back, right? With her little note, she's in agreement. She's like, we do not want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. That's what they want to do, but they don't want the word to go out. And the minister is the man who can straighten that idea out if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. Okay. And rebellion, I mean, when you think of rebellion, you automatically think of what Malcolm X, those, those doggone Muslims, right? Can't control them as easy. Not saying none of them got compromised, but you can't control them as easily. Okay, and that was a problem. And so um, let's go back to this, though. Okay, oh, you know what? <laughs> I thought you guys were seeing this this stuff. I thought I had it up on the screen. Sorry about that, but, but you heard me. You heard what I was saying, right? So this is what they were talking about, okay? This is how they gained acceptance for birth control, by coming at the Negro population and, and hitting us with the charismatic negro preacher <laughs> right and i get you for the person who said you have no sympathy for agents i'm i get you i get you you know i'm not coming to disrespect anyone i'm just telling it like it is you know um personally you know i'm i'm i mean everybody's not all evil or all good you know and um they always, 
it's this is not new. They've been doing this for a while. So one of the reasons this is out here, what I'm doing is just so that people have a more well-rounded view of what's really going on. All right. So I'm not going to read this whole thing about gamble. But if you just look, it's all about eugenics. You go down here, Clarence married Sarah, Sarah. But right here made valuable contributions to worldwide birth control movement. It's like everything, even when this dude get married, he don't care about getting married. It's all about birth control, eugenics, <laughs> right? Right, it goes right back to birth control. Everything you read in here is about eugenics, okay? So this dude was a, you know, rich um, heir to Procter & Gamble, but his whole Wikipedia, meaning his whole life work, everything was about eugenics, sterilization. He had this dirt that he was doing in Puerto Rico where they were um, trying out these experimental birth control pills on women in Puerto Rico, right? But sterilization was not Gamble's only endeavor in Puerto Rico. He is equally notorious for his role in the subjugation of poor women to medical experimentation. So this is crazy, right? And it's, it's known. It's out here now. Ain't nothing anybody could do about it. That's why they're like, okay, we can put this out, right? The Negro Project. This is it has its own Wikipedia page. The Negro Project that Gamble worked on with Margaret Sanger, right? <laughs> to the first abortion clinics started in poor black neighborhoods to target the inhabitants. But no, Planned Parenthood wasn't about aborting and and um exterminating black population. But the first abortion clinic started in poor black neighborhoods to target the inhabitants. Come on, man. This isn't conspiracy. And they use the Negro preachers to get us to accept this mess. This is how they got us to go along with it. And they said this stuff on the record. So you can't come back and say, oh, that's that's not true. That's just a, um, that's just a rumor. Nah, nah. It's not a rumor, you know, it's not a rumor. And and for the ones who got caught up, you got used, you got played, you got played. And that's how come they later on, you know, some of them realize that's why the brother, you know, towards the end of his life, allegedly he, he, he said that he feared he was, was integrating us into a burning house. <laughs> right. So, man, this is crazy. This is the dude. Clarence Gamble, I, I I suggest y'all look at some of these sources, man. Just go look this stuff up, okay? We're not making this up. Not making any of this up. I wish this was conspiracy and it wasn't true and we weren't in a situation we're in, but it's not. So we're going to keep it real here, all the way real. So let's let's go back into this because you might think I was getting distracted. You know, let's get back to Martin Luther King. Well, look, man, this is an important part of his legacy. He was a part of this. He won the Margaret Sanger Award. Um, you see the brother with his wife, uh, Coretta Scott King. Um, when he won the Margaret Sanger Award, all right, um, he wasn't at the, at the, uh, I guess, presentation, whatever. For, um, but his wife accepted the award on his behalf. He was still alive. It was in 1966. I believe he was assassinated in 68, 68 or 69. So, um, what happened, right? The forgotten reproductive justice legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. Unlike plagues of the dark ages, 
or contemporary diseases we do not yet understand, the modern plague of overpopulation is soluble by means we have discovered and with resources we possess. What is lacking is not sufficient knowledge of the solution, but universal consciousness of the gravity of the problem and education of the billions who are its victims. This is what Coretta Scott King said when she delivered the speech on behalf of her husband, right, when he received the Margaret Sanger Award, right? She's reading his words, his most eloquent words to help convince our people that this, this reproductive planning, this, this abortion is a good thing, people. We need to consider this, right? Because now we have the resources that we've discovered, that we possess now. We it's, it's part of the universal consciousness of the gravity of the problem and the education of the billions who are its victims. So it's how they talked around circles and got us thinking, okay, yeah, this is good. Remember, they had a traveling circus. They get the Negro preachers to come out and talk good, get the nurse, the Negro nurse and the Negro doctor, and they had the music, right? So if it was going on today, they would have the baby out there with his with his stupid dude with a big baby costume with a diaper on, like humping the women and stuff to convince you Negroes that birth control is good for you. Kill them babies. This is what they do. You know, there's scarcely anything more tragic in human life than a child who is not wanted. That which should be a blessing becomes a curse for a parent and a child. This was Coretta Scott King reading on her husband's speech. That he, he couldn't accept the word. He wasn't there. So she accepted it on his behalf. And so this is what they were doing, man. And they used the Negro preachers to get this, um, to get this accepted within our community. Okay. And like I said, man, you got to tell the whole story. You got to. So in 1966, King wrote a landmark speech on reproductive health and rights for his acceptance of Planned Parenthood's inaugural Margaret Sanger Award. Remember, Margaret Sanger was Hillary Clinton's hero or her shero, right? And she didn't back down from that, right? Because, you know, the Negroes, man, you listening to the baby. You stupid. You don't even think nothing of it. You don't even care, <laughs> right? Right? All she got to do is go on uh, the, uh, what was that stupid show, The Breakfast Club, and, and say she keep hot sauce in her purse. And these fools will vote for her. They don't even care. Right. If you listening to the baby or Meg the Stallion or any of that mess, you gone. You don't care about none of this mess. You down with the destruction of your own people. So of Margaret Sanger, Dr. King noted that there is a striking kinship between the fight for reproductive rights and civil rights. A striking kinship, particularly because Margaret Sanger, like we saw the horrifying conditions of ghetto life, uh, like, well, excuse me. She knew that all of society is poisoned by cancerous slums. He noted that Sanger sought, like he, to expose truth to the millions. The truth of reproductive rights is just like the truth of civil rights. That's what he's trying to say. To him, unwanted, unplanned pregnancies were a cruel evil that urgently needed control. In accepting the award, Mrs. Coretta Scott King appeared on his behalf. Dr. King wrote that Black Americans have no more academic nor ordinary interest in family planning. He saw the cruelty and evils of poverty exasperated by racial discrimination up close. And um, he said there's nothing more tragic in human life than a child who is not wanted. Poverty is often at the root of that. So um, 
Yeah, I'm not gonna read all the rest of this, but he just was basically recognized the civil rights movement and advocacy for family planning as natural allies. And that's how come today the so-called black community, they're like always pro-choice. They're like, the woman got the right to choose. You don't even know where all this mess came from. You don't know. They planted these seeds way back in the day, way back when Sanger and uh, Gamble came up with the Negro Project. They planted those seeds decades ago. Prescott Bush, father of former President George H.W. Bush, right? And the other George Bush, father of both, the father and grandfather of them. He served as the early treasurer and fundraiser for Planned Parenthood. It's like, wait, hold up, Prescott Bush? Later, as a member of Congress, George H.W. Bush would play a crucial role in the enactment of Title X, which provides family planning services, including contraceptives for the economically disenfranchised. They like free abortions for the poor, <laughs> right? Prescott Bush is like, wait, hold up, man. You ain't supposed to be on the same side with them ever. <laughs> In 1969, when access to family planning was poor for poor women was being debated in Congress, Bush exclaimed, we need to take sensationalism out of this topic so they can no longer be used by militants. Who have no real knowledge of the voluntary nature of the program. Like, they, we're not forcing them to be sterilized. It's a choice. Right? And then they signed it in the law. Okay? So, like, yeah, you're not supposed to be ever on the side with the Bush. You know, Prescott Bush. the Senator Prescott Bush, who um, helped to steal uh, Geronimo's skull so that they could put it on the mantle at Skull and Bones. Like, come on, man. That, no, you're not ever supposed to be. I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up either. It's like, wait, Prescott Bush? Wait, wait so how the hell are you connecting MLK to Prescott Bush? It's like, well, you know, they, I mean, he received the Margaret Sanger Award from Planned Parenthood. We see that Planned Parenthood, they had the Negro Project to use the Negro preachers to get the people to accept it, right? And Prescott Bush, was a part of Planned Parenthood. That was a big deal. You can't mention this and leave that stuff out. And it's like, wait, hold up. Prescott Bush is the one who stole one of the ancestors' skull. Why they they steal? They had to get Geronimo's skull, right? Why? Because he is a member of Skull and Bones. What is Skull and Bones? Right? This is a fraternal order. You have to go to Yale. You have to be rich. You have to be related to, you know, the king of England and all this stuff. It's like, wait, hold up. And so, and Prescott Bush is on here. This is the Wikipedia page for Skull and Bones. And there's Prescott Bush has long been rumored to have played a role in Skull and Bones' alleged theft of the skull of Native American leader Geronimo. Like, what? What? Like, this is real. We're not making this up. Okay. So, um, you know, this is this is wild, but it, it's all connected. And, um, you know, I don't know what else to say. I mean, there's there's not really anything good about these people, especially, you know, this Prescott Bush, man. He, he's done a lot of a lot of dirt. Right. So they stole that. But that that's the that's the lightweight stuff. Right. When you really look into the Bush family, like how they get down, what they've done. Right. You know, Bush's grandfather was basically a supporter of the Nazi party. 
<laughs> this is this is about this is from uh, the Guardian.com. How Bush's grandfather helped Hitler's rise to power, right? George Bush's grandfather, talking about Prescott Bush, was a director and shareholder of companies that profited from their involvement with the financial backers of Nazi Germany. This is how they came up. A lot of people don't know the Bush family. They used to, they used to live in Compton before Compton, you know, California. Before it is what it you know became what it is nowadays. They lived in Compton. Okay, and um, says his business dealings which continued until his company's assets were seized in 1942 under the Trading with the Enemy Act. Come on, this ain't no conspiracy, right? He was doing he's under the Enemy Act, okay? <laughs> it led more than 60 years later to civil actions for damages being brought in Germany against the Bush family by two former slave laborers at Auschwitz. Okay, and so like there's a whole bunch of like man, the Bush family, like they did a lot of dirt. So if they're with it, if they're with Planned Parenthood, that's another sign that you shouldn't have nothing to do with it. Okay, just like Clinton saying that Margaret Sanger's a hero, that should let you know, oh no, nah, she's really trying to kill us, right? That should just like right then and there let you know, okay, she's really with this man, she's trying to kill us. Because that's how they get down. Right? These are not good people. These are not decent folk. Okay? And and this ain't just me making this up. But um, you know, that's that's enough about Prescott Bush. Okay. And as I said before, I mean you you heard from or you saw the stuff from his from his niece now trying to say how they Planned Parenthood is lying about um MLK, like his his involvement with them, because because what every year, which you, you may not notice this, but every year when it's MLK Day, they roll out their little tired, you know, little played out talk about how he won the Margaret Sanger Award way back in the day. He was with this Planned Parenthood. He's with it, folks. Why? Because the Negro Project, even though the name may have changed. Because you can't use the word Negro now. They can't say that. So they just evolved it. So it's still going on today. They still have the Negro Project today. You will still have um, Asiatic preachers still trying to push that agenda. Even though you would think. Because like everybody else, all the other Christians, you know, they're they're not going to be with that mess. They're not going to say, hey, abortions are cool. Right? They're going to be pro-life. Right. So if you look at his his niece, this is his niece today, Dr. King's niece. She's like saying how, like, you know, Planned Parenthood uh, saying his comments about the civil right leader amount to lying. She charges the organization misrepresents Reverend King's reception of the Margaret Sanger Award. Right. She said, I hate to sound combative, but they do this every year. On Martin Luther King Day, the Planned Parenthood Federation of America released a statement saying the civil rights leader had received the Planned Parenthood Federation of America's Margaret Sanger Award in 1966. They don't say nothing about the Negro Project, though. They pull this out every year. That's why this is a part of this broadcast. This is important. Everyone needs to know because this needs to be exposed. This is a part of the legacy, okay? This isn't the only thing the man did, but he got suckered in just like everyone else. 
and this needs to be exposed. So the Negro project that most folks don't even know about, he was a part of it. And it's a problem. You see his, you know, his niece, she doesn't feel that should be a part of his legacy. Stop pulling this out every year. Every year, Martin Luther King Day, they wanted, hey, he won the Margaret Sanger Award. She wasn't bad. She wasn't about eugenics. We got a Negro preacher. <laughs> you know, this is basically what they do. Don't they always do that? If if one of them is getting accused of racism, say, I got black friends. Right? They got black friends. You got a Negro preacher. See? He won the award in my name, Margaret Sanger's name. So he can't we can't be bad. That's what they do. Um, so uh they pull this out every year. And she's tired of it. She's like, no, this is wrong. This one what he stood for. Okay, so um, you know, just wanted to pull that out to show you like this, this is wild. It's wild, and um, this has been going on for a while. And the people need to know what's really going on out here. So I wanted to put that in a proper perspective, just so the more people can be aware, right? Just to spread awareness. That's why I'm saying everybody watching this, click the like and share button. We're gonna keep it going though and keep it moving. So um, if we go back to the timeline, Martin Luther King's life, um, you know, his, his life was unfortunately cut short. But if we go back into the timeline while, while he's actually doing the work, you know, to what what we get when they teach us about Martin Luther King, it's all about, you know, they did marches, they had peaceful protests, right? He's fighting against segregation. But in reality, what was really going on, you still had lynchings occurring, right? You still had people inflicting terrorism on our communities, literally. Right. Um, I know everybody's probably heard of Emmett Till. When did Emmett Till get killed? Let me let's look that up real quickly. When did Emmett Till meet his? Okay, so in 1955, 1955, Emmett Till's killed. What does it say on here? 1955, Rosa Parks is arrested for refusing to vacate her seat on a Montgomery city bus for a white passenger. So this is 1955. This just happens to happen the same year that Emmett Till was killed. It's not a coincidence, people. So this is what the fight was really about, right? Not only we're fighting for better better conditions, you know, we, we, want, we want more success, more prosperity for our communities, right? We want to be in power. We want the freedom, you know, to live without, you know, others impeding on our, you know, our ability to prosper. That's one end. But then you also had literally lynchings be, being carried out. So Emmett Till was killed in August 28, 1955. Um, I guess I'll put this on the screen just in case you don't know about Emmett Till. I know some of y'all young, you might not even know what I'm talking about. But OK, so the young brother Emmett Till. Emmett Till was 14 years old and he was lynched in Mississippi. Lynched. Okay. Lynchings. Lynchings are when our, um, you know, when I'm talking about what our people went through in this country, lynchings are when people were being killed, murdered, hung from trees, burned, shot, tortured, right? And then used, put out there in the public so that our people would feel like there's no justice. Right. This is why you had the KKK and the burning of the cross. 
They burned the cross to let you know you had no sanctuary. God's not going to protect you. Forget the fact that why, why are you the same religion as your oppressors? But no, they're letting you know, like, there's no sanctuary for you here and no here or in heaven. Right. And then like hanging people, literally. OK, they hanging people from trees. They burning, killing, shooting people um, just like torture. OK. Lynchings. So 1955 lynchings are still occurring. August 28th, 1955. This is something that was angering a lot of our people. We're not victims. This is angering people. People are ready to burn this thing down and take what's theirs. So it's not a coincidence that August 1928, Emmett Till, 1955, is, did I say 1928? August 28, 1955, Emmett Till is lynched, okay, in Mississippi. I think he was he was visiting his, his cousins, and he's from Chicago. So he's in Mississippi. He gets lynched, okay? So it's not a coincidence that in August, he gets lynched. And then that same year in December, Rosa Parks... Not knocking Rosa Parks, not belittling Rosa Parks, but Rosa Parks is arrested for refusing to vacate her seat on the Montgomery City bus for a white passenger. It's not a coincidence that that happened in December and everyone knew about it. You had reporters, you had press and everything there. And then four days later, King becomes president of the newly formed Montgomery Improvements Association, leading to the Montgomery bus boycott. It's not a coincidence. So that happened less than four months later. Okay? Like three months later, they got this little, you know, it's like a safe incident that happens. Oh, this woman was tired. She didn't want to give up her seat to the European passenger. And Dr. King's about to be on the forefront now. And and they're going to have a peaceful bus boycott in Montgomery. And all the press is going to be there. And there's going to be Jews and and Europeans and walking hand in hand, arm in arm with the the so-called Negroes or colored folks or whatever they was calling us at that time. And, and it's going to be a peaceful protest, right? Because Emmett Till just got killed and they're starting to get worried. People are starting to burn things down. They're angry. They're tired of this. And they want, they want retribution and they want what's theirs. And they want the, you know, they, they see there's no justice. So they want justice. And so look, you had a push now to control the narrative, turn it towards something more peaceful, more controllable. You know, we're going to have a peaceful bus boycott. And this is when King came to the forefront now. Okay. Then next year, okay, the U.S. Supreme Court affirms the decision declaring Alabama's bus segregation laws unconstitutional and ending the 381-day protest. So it was peacefully recognized. Okay, Emmett Till was killed, and the thing that really pissed people off, okay, because he was killed August 28th, 1955, and then, you know, you're going to have the trial later on, and in that trial, ain't nobody getting convicted of anything, which is what usually happened when you had lynchings. Right. The only way there was going to be retribution was if some Asiatics went and found the people who did it, which occurred sometimes. But 
this is what the people are thinking. Like, okay, so these people get off. But no, we had a victory over here. The bus boycott. The, the Supreme Court ruled that it's unconstitutional to have these segregation laws. So they're trying to change the narrative. Instead of it being, you know, fight for power and justice, it's about segregation. And King is named president in 1957 of what becomes the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the SCLC. Okay. And he gave his first national address at the prayer pilgrimage for freedom. All right. And so it was easy. Like the, you, you had real anger, real frustration over lynchings, over, you know, uh, frustration over all of these real issues, economic disenfranchisement, things that the people are ready to, to um, you know, burn things down that they got to, to take over. Even take up arms if they have to. They're pissed off. And the narrative is being switched towards the more peaceful. It's about desegregating this stuff, man. It's about segregation. All right? And so it got switched. King and other civil rights leaders meet with the president, the white Eisenhower in Washington, D.C. Right? And the Christians, remember the, the Christian leadership conference, remember the Negro Project, not saying that Margaret Sanger ran the world or anything, but I mean, Gamble, Dr. Gamble was a real powerful man. They they worked together on the Negro Project and they used the Christian Negro preachers to control the people, to control the narrative and to try to shut down the militants, right? To try to shut them down, you know, using some fancy words, being slick, so this is what was happening. And so I'm just showing this with his life because, you know, for all the good work that he did, he got co-opted. Everybody did. W.B. Du Bois, right? For all the good work that he did, he was part of the Negro Project. Okay? They got co-opted. They got used to keep the people on a pathway that was deemed more acceptable by the people who were in power. Okay? So, um... One thing I want to do, I want to read some stuff from Malcolm X biography. Um, and one reason is because it pertains to what's being said here about Dr. King, right? Especially if you see uh, he delivers his famous I Have a Dream speech on the Lincoln Memorial to over 20,000 demonstrators at uh, the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Now, this is important, too, because this gives you a more well-rounded perspective of what's really going on, right? Because you you want to hear the from those militants you want to hear from those militants and i'll tell you why because if margaret sanger and and dr clarence gamble want you to hear from the negro preachers and they want you to be distracted by the negro music okay they want they don't want you to be paying attention to the militants the militants but you need to hear what they're saying so that you know what's really going on. All right, so we're going to go to that. Now, um, you know, this this is up here, too, because this is also important. Now, uh, we have uh, Harry Belafonte, who actually came out maybe a few years ago speaking. About, I think that brother just passed away. Well, rest in peace to him. But I believe he, he came out a few years ago saying that King told him to lead into a 
else. I want to talk about that because, um, you know, why why would he even say that? Right. And that, that would sound troubling, especially with all this stuff that's going on, all the stuff that he got the people all worked up. You know what's going on? OK. So. Um, let's. Let's look at this. OK, so this is a quote. Where Dr. Martin Luther King said, I fear I may have integrated my people into a burning house. All right. And Harry Belafonte spoke on the last conversation between him and MLK. Right. So at the end, towards the end of his life, saying midway through the civil rights movement, Dr. Martin Luther King realized that the struggle for integration would ultimately become a struggle for economic rights. I remember the last time we were together at my home shortly before he was murdered. He seemed quite agitated and preoccupied. And I asked him what the problem was. And this is a quote from uh, that he said, King said, I've come upon something that disturbs me deeply. We have fought long and hard for integration, as I believe we should have. And I know that we will win. But I've come to believe we're integrating into a burning house. The statement took me aback. It was the last thing I would have expected to hear, considering the nature of our struggle. And I asked him what he meant. And he said, King said, I'm afraid that America may be losing what moral vision she may have had. And I'm afraid that even as we integrate, we are walking into a place that does not understand this nation needs to be deeply concerned with the plight of the poor and disenfranchised until we commit ourselves to ensuring that the underclass is given justice and opportunity. We will continue to perpetuate the anger and violence that tears at the soul of this nation. I fear I'm integrating my people into a burning house. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. All right. And uh, Belafonte said that, um, you know, he was so startled at the statement. He said to him, what should we do? Dr. King told him that we become the firemen. Let us not stand by and let the house burn. Okay. So he said, you know, become the fireman. Let us not stand by and let the house burn. It's too late. We didn't already got in so deep. We need to try to put the fire out. Okay. And then on the flip side of that, it says, you have a speech by Malcolm X. It was entitled The House Negro and the Field Negro. He spoke about how the house Negro loved the master more than he loved himself. And if the, if the master's house caught on fire, the house Negro would try to put the fire out. On the other hand, you had a field Negro. The field Negro hated the master and despised his very existence. If the master's house were to catch on fire, the field Negro would pray for a strong wind to come along. Right. And that was actually a quote from Malcolm X. So I'm, I'm just sharing that because this is what was happening towards the um, towards the end of Brother Martin Luther King's life. Right. And the reason I'm going back to Emmett Till, I showed that because this is when Dr. King started to come into the national spotlight, 1955, December. And what happened? December, uh, August 28th, 1955, Emmett Till was murdered. Okay. If we go to the page, I don't know when the trial occurred, but more than likely the trial, you know, came along later on and nobody was convicted. Okay. Which is ridiculous. So it was known because of the coverage that this guy, this originally was starting to get coverage by our own, um, our own publications, our own Asiatic own news organizations were covering this. So the word got out 
People were pissed off. The boy was only 14. You know, it was ridiculous. And he was tortured and his body was put up there like they always did so that people could see how badly he had been um, tortured. So what they always did to spread the fear and um, to try to keep us in a subservient position. Okay, so this was a big deal. All right, you can see how mutilated his corpse was, right? So this was a big deal. And this was just one of the many things that was just going to set things off. Okay, and so it's not a coincidence that in December you have a peaceful, more more um, softer approach of a, a woman not wanting to give up her seed. And, you know, that started the Montgomery bus boycott. Okay. It says in Montgomery, Rosa Parks attended a rally for Till led by Martin Luther King Jr. Soon after, she refused to give up her seat on a segregated bus to a white passenger. Right? It's, Parks later said she didn't give up and move to the rear bus, the rear of the bus, because I thought of Emmett Till and I just couldn't go back. Right? And so that's the 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 um that's where they moved that energy towards that's the direction they took the the battle towards it's about segregation okay this is what we gonna do and um you know they got our people to go along with it okay and it, it was done by design and it's not our mastermind it's not something that we came up with and said this is what we must do it's somebody else's plan who didn't have our best interest at heart they made that decision for us okay and then it was done and this is a part of dr king's legacy it's important but it's like i said it's not all bad you know but he said that he feared he was leading us into a burning house and we should put the fire out but brother malcolm x said hey let that house burn down don't be in fear of what you can do building your own. Let them go down. But you got to understand that the Christians, for the Christian preachers, like they were under control. And this is not knocking a Christian church or any organizations. It's just keeping it real. They're under control because just common sense would tell you why are you the same religion as your open enemy, your oppressors? And not only your oppressors, the KKK, okay? The Ku Klux Klan. They're out here burning crosses, carrying out lynchings. One of the reasons, I mean, yeah, they got a cult, you know, esoteric reason for wearing the hood and all this stuff. But no, one of the reasons is just to cover their face so that when they go and actually kill lynching people, you don't know who they are. Even though... You know, you could probably, if you lived in that community, you knew who was doing this, right? But, you know, just to cover their face, to hide. Hide their dirt. Hide their crimes. And they all considered themselves good Christian men. Christian men and women. Because when they pull off the lynchings, it'd be a bunch of European women out there smiling, looking up at the dead bodies, right? And they're all Christians. So why are you the same religion as them? That makes no sense. And so why are you able to be swayed by the Negro preacher. I don't care how good, how charismatic he is. He's the same religion as these folks. The the KKK, your open enemies, right? They burn the cross 
to terrorize you, to let you know there's no sanctuary with you uh, for you because you associate this cross with your religion and your God. So they let you know it's fake. Ain't no sanctuary for you here or there, <laughs> right? Because part of the way that the Christianity, as they gave it to us, was to have you thinking, looking for your reward after you die. Don't worry about your struggles here. You get it when you go to heaven. Then they burn across, let you know there ain't no heaven for you. Okay? So it, it really makes no sense, right, for us as a people to, to do that. But, you know, uh, most of us took that on, you know. Some of it happened by force, but it, it doesn't even matter, especially in this day and age. Like, why are you still going along with that mess? Okay, but it's it's a way to control the people and it was used to control the people and it worked. It worked then and it's still working now. Okay, so when we go back to this, um, you know, I'm trying to be careful how I wear this because I don't want anyone to think I'm attacking them or their religion or nothing like that. But it's just common sense, folks. This is this is not a conspiracy. Okay, the, the men and women in the KKK, they felt like they are good Christians. And um, why are you the same religion as the people who enslaved you, the people who were openly against you? Openly, <laughs> right? You took it on hardcore, even harder core than they did. Why did enslaved Africans embrace the religion of their captors who used the Bible to justify the brutal transatlantic slave trade? Right. They fell in love with the scriptures. They fell into it and they bought into it even more so than um, the Europeans. And it wasn't working for them because when it was first given to you, it was given to you to to keep you subservient. So that you would accept the conditions, the subhuman conditions that you're in. Right. Should have been like something that you were just against from the start. But, you know, it, it didn't work out like that, did it? So um, one of the things, though, that I would like to do is to go to some words from our brother Malcolm X. All right. And one of the reasons why is because he, he touches on what was really going on in this climate. In this time frame in Martin, during Martin Luther King's time. And um. He gives you more insight, insight that you won't get from anyone else. You couldn't get it from the um, Negro preachers because the Negro preachers had been co-opted. They were part of the Negro project. So they're pushing abortion to the people. They too busy getting paid to push abortion, to get you to accept this. Right. And to get you to go towards peaceful protests and fight for integration instead of fighting for power, getting control of your own states governing yourselves right they want you to fight you know instead of for independence but we're gonna fight for integration you know the house is on fire we need to put it out this is what they got you doing so um and it's it's ironic because while uh king delivered this i have a dream speech you need to hear what brother uh malcolm x said about that right that same period that same March on Washington. He actually talked about all of that. And um, like I said, you need to hear from what the so-called militants said about this time period, this same time frame. Okay, so let's let's go back 
let's go in and visit this briefly. Um, if you've never read the autobiography of Malcolm X, as told to Alex Haley, I advise you to get a copy and read it. I read it a long time ago as a teenager, and um, it was powerful. And I think like everybody should read it. Everybody, regardless of what your ethnic background is or whatever, everybody should have this and read it. It's American history. It's powerful. And um, it gives you a more well-rounded view of what was going on in this country. Okay. Um, So let's go to this. And then it's amazing because um, this was dictated to Alex Haley and uh, the brother Malcolm X was assassinated before the work was finished. And um, I think the whole time, like, he had a distrust of Alex Haley. He, he didn't really like him. He didn't trust him. He wasn't sure that Alex Haley was going to tell the truth and tell him what he's telling him, you know, with, you know, without changing it up. He, he wasn't, he didn't really trust him. Okay. And I, I don't blame him. I mean, you know, come to find out that Alex Haley's been lying to us all the whole time, right? It's, Alex Haley put out his roots narrative, supposed to be the story of his life. I mean, his family. His family history, how Kunta Kinte got captured from Africa and brought over here. Come to find out he plagiarized the whole thing, right? He wound up getting sued by a European man who wrote another book. Was that book called The Slave? We're going to look that up real quick. Alex Haley plagiarized. The Slave, was it? What's it called? The slave? <laughs> it's amazing. All this is tied in, though. All this is connected. So, um, Roots plagiarism suit is settled. This is from the New York Times in 1978. Let's, let's pull this up. <laughs> Forgive me for jumping around, but bear with me. All of this is, you know, key history. And it's all tied in, and it, especially if you've never heard of this. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking the words got now by now, but Roots Plagiarism Suit is Settled. This is from the New York Times, published in 1978. So Alitelli got sued. He settled a lawsuit yesterday by acknowledging that his world-renowned book, Roots, contained some material from a relatively unknown novel about slavery that was published nine years earlier. It was a fictional story. It, it ended a six-week trial of a suit by Harold Corlander, a 70-year-old author. He's a European dude from Bethesda, Maryland, who contended there were substantial similarities between Roots and his earlier novel, The African. That's what it was, The African. He sued in federal district court in Manhattan for more than half the profits of Roots. The trials about with summations by opposing lawyers, they issued the following statement. The suit has been amicably settled out of court. Alitelli acknowledges and regrets the various materials from the African by Harold Corlander found their way into his book, Roots. Okay, so the dude wrote this book as if it was the story of his family. It had nothing to do with his family. The story about this Kunta Kinte getting captured in Africa, this was a fictional story written by a European called The African. And this guy co-opted it and said that it was his family story. And then this book um, wound up becoming a movie that came out in the 70s. And it um, has been remade, redone, had extra parts added to it that they still 
it's a franchise now. It's like they still put out movies and TV shows on Roots. Okay? So um, they're still pushing this narrative. The African is a novel, so it's a, it's a fictional story that explores the transition of Africans from tribal freedom to plantation slavery. Mr. Corlander wrote 27 books. So I'm going to get up out of here. But um, Mr. Haley has conceded that parts of Roots were fictionalized, but he denied that he knowingly made any factual errors. So it's like he, he admits that it was fictionalized, man. Okay? And they have parts in the African and Roots that are literally the same, except for just a few names changed. Okay? And it says, just in case anyone needs more, the passages were identified by Mr. Haley as references to Kunta grandfather on page 225 of Roots. Kunta awakening more lighthearted in 321 in a camp meeting in page 369. He explains someone must have given him the passages to him without attributing them to the African. So this dude just took dude stuff word for word. Okay. And, um, then he came to Malcolm X somehow, right? And he's going to do his autobiography, and Malcolm X didn't really trust him. So it's amazing that some of the stuff that is in here made it in here. That's all I really wanted to bring that up for was because, like, you know, the brother was lying and scheming out here. But um, just to go back to what I really wanted to share, right, um, this is Alex Haley dictating towards the end. He's talking about Malcolm X. says, one morning... In midsummer 1964, Malcolm X telephoned me and said that he will be leaving within the next two or three days for a planned six weeks abroad. I heard from him first in Cairo about his predicted long hot summer. So Malcolm X keeps talking about the long hot summer. He felt like 1964 is going to be riots. And after that, there's going to be riots. Like it's a powder keg, it's ready to explode. He kept talking about this because he was connected to the community. Like Malcolm X got caught up in the streets and he spent some time in prison. And as he got out, he was able to connect to the people. The people trusted him. He knew what was going on in what they would call the hood nowadays. So as the predicted long hot summer began in earnest with riots, right? He kept telling them, he's like, it's going to explode. And then he's saying that it actually happened. It began with riots and other uprisings of Negroes occurring in some, and look how he's using the word Negroes, right? They keep changing our our marks, our nicknames, right? Negroes with colored folks, with black, with African ring. Anyway, so um, he warned them about the long, hot summer. And then he's saying riots and uprisings of Negroes occurring in suburban Philadelphia, in Rochester, in Brooklyn, in Harlem, and other cities, right? He's seeing it happen. The New York Times reported that a meeting of Negro intellectuals had agreed that Dr. Martin Luther King could secure the allegiance of the middle and upper classes of Negroes, but Malcolm X alone could secure the allegiance of Negroes at the bottom. Then it's got a quote. The Negroes respect Dr. Martin, I mean, Dr. King and Malcolm X because they sense in these men absolute integrity and know they will never sell them out. Malcolm X cannot be corrupted, and the Negroes know this and therefore respect him. They also know that he comes from the lower depths as they do and regard him as one of their own. Malcolm X is going to play a formidable role because the racial struggle has now shifted to the urban north. It says, 
if Dr. King is convinced that he has sacrificed 10 years of brilliant leadership, he will be forced to revise his concepts. There is only one direction in which he can move, and that is the in the direction of Malcolm X. I sent a clipping of that story to Malcolm X in Cairo. All right. All right, so um, sharing that with you. That is from Malcolm X biography. And that what what I was reading, that was um, this clipping that Alex Haley read in the New York Times that he sent to Malcolm X because he's like, look at this. New York Times talking about Martin Luther King's going to wind up having to move in your direction. There's only one direction he can move in because it, there's all these Negro uprisings, riots, uprisings, Philadelphia, Rochester, Brooklyn, Harlem, other cities. And there's a meeting of Negro intellectuals and they agreed that Dr. King, yeah, he could secure the allegiance of the middle and upper class Negroes, but uh, most of them is lower class and that's who they with Malcolm X. Malcolm X, and he, and they, and then it says in there, if Dr. King is convinced he sacrificed ten years of brilliant leadership, he will be forced to revise his concepts. There's only one direction in which he can move, and that is in the direction of Malcolm X. All right, and he sent this clipping from the New York Times to Malcolm X while he was in Cairo, and so I'm sharing that because this was happening towards the end of Dr. King's life. This is why he was assassinated. Okay. Because if you look at the timeline again, you see that this is also when he finally went and met with the brother Malcolm X towards the end of his life. Um, let's uh, let me show you something. Let's let's pull the timeline back up. So if we look back at this timeline from Martin Luther King's life, um, okay. 1963, he delivered his I Have a Dream speech. That's what they'll tell you about. They'll tell everybody about it. Maybe even as a child, they have you say the speech or something, right? 1964, January 3rd, he won Times Man of the Year. He was hated, but he won the, he won the uh, <laughs> Man of the Year, right? Then... March 26, he met with Malcolm X for the first and only time. Now, in 1958, I know um, you you there's actually, um, I think there's something called the King Institute, Dr. King Institute, where they have these letters from Dr. King. And um, there's a letter from the Nation of Islam that's like typed out 1958 to him. And he, um, for whatever reason, they, they're inviting him to come and speak. And he um, declined. Right. So I don't know. He may have been busy. Who knows why he declined, but he didn't meet with them. Right. So later on towards his life, he's actually going. He meets with King. I mean, he meets with Malcolm X. Right. He meets with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. They're not going to put that on here, though. Right. Because they know everybody know about Malcolm X. So they later on in his life, he's meeting with Malcolm X. Things are starting to change. Right. Because the people, like I said earlier, 1955, when he came to power, 
they put him in the position to lead things towards this segregation road. But even though they're leading everyone towards segregation, look, it wasn't working. If we look over this timeline, 1956, in the hoods, okay, the mo- for most of the people are, are, are living, um, I guess you would say, lower class, right? They're still, every year, especially in the summers, Malcolm X, you read his biography, he's always talking about long, hot summers, because in the summertime, people were getting fed up, it's hot, things would start to boil over. And so they, the, all they could do over all of these years was try to con- find the riots that would happen to our own neighborhoods. So Watts, Watts, California, you know, everywhere, St. Louis, all these places where we're at, they would try to keep our riots limited to our own neighborhoods to keep us from spreading out. Because once what what will really happen is as is if we were allowed to spread out to other neighborhoods, things will really start to kick off because then we see what we can do. They can get out into the places where Europeans are living. They can get out to downtown and financial districts, right? So they will always try to keep the riots confined, excuse me, confined to our own neighborhoods. All right, because secretly they're at war with us. So this was going on every year. And then, okay, 1957, King's named president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, right? So this is, for the most part, this is for church, church leaders. They're going to be in these different positions. Everybody that's going to be part of this leadership, they're going to be different um, ministers. So they're under control. They're going to try to steer this towards this peaceful rallying, marching segregation thing remember people are still getting lynched we're still fighting every summer is boiling over so every year you're having riots you're having uprisings this is what's really going on and then it gets to the point where okay fine 1964 is like look if you have any self-respect you know you you're gonna have to meet with malcolm x you're gonna have to meet with the elijah muhammad's that's the direction this is really going in and then of course, he he was assassinated four years later. So this is what this is the the conflict he was dealing with. Like, okay, this stuff ain't working, right? The people aren't trying to go for that. It's not working. So um, where we're really going at is you know we we want power. So they you know eventually have to meet with the you see him here with the with the. Muhammad Ali, but here he is over here with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad to hear him out. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad saying, hey, we, we need our own land. Bottom line. You know, segregation ain't what it's about. We need our own land. Okay? And then, what do you have? You have Martin Luther King on the record later saying, 100 years later, the Negro is still languishing in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. So we have come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. Okay? So later on, he's saying, he's starting to echo what Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad and the others were saying. Hey, we we need our own land. This is ours. We can't go anywhere else. This is our home. We're in exile on our own land, right? You see here in the picture, he's, you know, he's smiling. He's with 
Malcolm X is the only time he met with him in Washington. He met with him for the only time, 1964. And this coincidentally was towards the end of his uh, life. Okay. This is not a coincidence, but that's how it happened for a reason. Now, let me go back to the Malcolm X biography, right? Because as I was saying earlier, man, this is the only thing that's going to give you a true picture of what was really going on in this man's life. Like it says here from this news clipping, right, that, that Alex Haley sent to Malcolm X. King was starting to realize that's the only direction he can move, the direction of Malcolm X, the only direction he can move in. Okay, so to understand this, let's, let's see some of the words from our brother Malcolm X. Okay, um, now this is all like spoken from Alex Haley's point of view. He's talking about Malcolm X. He said he denounced integration as a fraud. Malcolm X let it be known like right off the bat. He's like, man, integration is a fraud. It's a fraud. You know, it's not a good thing. We need our own land. Forget all that. Um, he contended that if the leaders of the established, now the, um, the uh the civil rights leaders right they had the the well to do the educated they even got this the students who were in college they got them because they were all all these people were indoctrinated right so he contended that if the leaders of the established civil rights organizations persisted the social struggle would end in bloodshed because he was certain the white man would never concede full integration he argued the muslim case for separation as the only solution in which the Negro could achieve his own identity, develop his own culture, and lay the foundations for a self-respecting, productive community. He was vague about where the Negro state could be established. Because he's like, we need our own land, literally. It's the only way this is going to work. He refused to see the impossibility of the white man conceding session from the United States at this stage in his career. He contended it was the only solution. He Islam as Christianity as a religion designed for slaves and the Negro clergy, talking about the Negro preachers, as the curse of the black man, exploiting him for their own purposes instead of seeking to liberate him and acting as handmaidens of the white community in its determination to keep the Negroes in a subservient position. And we see the Negro project. That's why this was being explained to you in depth because this is a part of the legacy. So any Negro ministers, anyone, and especially if they're receiving the Margaret Sanger Award, they're a part of the problem. There's no way around it. There's nothing, they're a part, a huge part of the problem, okay? They're handmaidens of the white community. It's true. They're exploiting their own people. During this first encounter, Malcolm also sought to enlighten me about the Negro mentality. He repeatedly cautioned me to be aware of the firm of Negro affirmations of goodwill towards the white man. So he's talking to Alex Haley like he's talking to a European who don't even know his own people. He's like, man, I don't care if they afraid to tell you the truth about the white man. Don't you know this is how they survive? He said the Negro has been trained to dissemble and conceal his real thoughts as a matter of survival. He argued that the Negro only tells the white man what he believes the white man wishes to hear. And the art of dissembling reached a point where even Negroes cannot truthfully say 
they understand what their fellow Negroes believe. It's so the art is so bad. The art of deception practiced by the Negro was based on a thorough understanding of the white man. Uh, I don't know what this is trying to say. He said at the same time, the Negro has remained a closed book to the white man who has never displayed any interest in understanding the Negro. Okay, so um, he, he let it be known right off that. He's like, all oh, this segregation mess is a fraud. This is not what it's really about. <coughs> okay. Um, this is also about uh, Malcolm speaking about how the, the press in the deep south, the white press generally blacked me out. But they front page what I felt about northern white and black freedom writers going south to demonstrate. I called it ridiculous. Their own northern ghettos right at home had enough rats and roaches to keep all of the freedom riders busy. I said the ultra liberal New York had more integration problems than Mississippi, but they coming down south to help desegregate <laughs> and they got all these problems. Or the northern freedom riders could light some fires under northern city halls, unions and major industries to get more jobs to Negroes to remove so many of them from the relief and welfare roles, which created laziness and which deteriorated the ghettos into steadily worse places for humans to live. It was all as it is, the absolute truth. But what did I want? What did I want to say it for? Snakes couldn't have turned on me faster than the liberal. So they, you know, they put that the worst that they could in the papers, right? To say, you know, show that he was talking trash about these freedom writers coming to desegregate the South. But they didn't put in there all the problems that they had that they could have fixed. And so he's just exposing that it was it was trash. It was fake. Right. Uh, the white Southerner was always given his due by Mr. Muhammad. Talking about an honorable Elijah Muhammad. At least the white Southerner was honest. He bears his teeth to the black man. He tells the black man to his face that Southern whites never will accept phony integration. OK, this is how he felt about it. Actually, America's most dangerous and threatening black man is the one who's been kept sealed up by the northerner in the black ghettos. The northern white power structure system to keep talking democracy while keeping the black man out of sight somewhere around the corner. He's saying that this is this is dangerous. These ghettos. This is where a real problem is. The word integration was invented by a northern liberal. The word has no real meaning. He's like letting it be known. Like, come on, man. Most of the Asiatic people, they didn't want to be around the Europeans. Just like Europeans didn't want to be around them. And then they got them all riled up thinking that Negroes are trying to be around them. When it's really about human rights, respect as human beings. That's what America's black masses want. That's the true problem. The black masses want not to be shrunk from as though they are plague ridden. They don't want to be walled up in slums in the ghettos like animals. They want to live in an open free society where they can walk with their heads up like men and women. Few white people realize that many black people today dislike and avoid spending any more time than they must around white people. This is integration image as it is properly interpreted. Has millions of vain, self-exalted white people convinced black people want to sleep in bed with them. And that's a lie. The black masses prefer the company of their own kind. Even these fancy bourgeois Negroes, when they get back home from their fancy integrated cocktail parties, what do they do but kick off their shoes and talk about those white liberals they just left as if the liberals were dogs? 
and the white liberals probably do the same thing. So he's just telling the truth. He's like, come on, man. All this integration mess is fake. Um, <laughs> so um, basically, you know, he, he was letting it be known. And, um, you know, I don't know if Alex Haley understood this stuff or not, it, but it had to be said. This is part of his legacy. And this is a part of Martin Luther King's legacy. But King would never tell this side because he represented the black bourgeois, the bougie people. Right. The educated, the ones that are making a little money. And that's why he could reach the middle class and upper class so-called Negroes. Right. And then as uh, it was safe, it's, it's nothing, you know, it's safe for people to be Christians. Right. So people felt comfortable with that. And, um, you know, it's, you know, these for the most part, these are just facts. This gives you a better, well, more well-rounded view of what was really going on in that time period, especially in the 50s, 60s, uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, right? So um, today we are seeing this revolution of the non-white peoples who just a few years ago would have frozen in horror if the mighty white nation so much as lifted an eyebrow. The American black man should be focused focusing his every effort towards building his own businesses and decent homes for himself as other ethnic groups have done. Let the black people wherever possible, however possible, patronize their own kind, hire their own kind. That's the only way the black man is ever going to get respect. Black man can never become independent and recognizes a human being who is truly equal with other human beings until he has what they have and until he is doing for himself what others are doing for themselves. Sounds just like Malcolm X and our brother Noble Drew Ali. Same thing they were saying. Only a few thousands of Negroes, relatively a very tiny number, are taking any part in integration. Here again is those few bourgeois Negroes rushing to throw away their little money in the white man's luxury hotels, his swanky nightclubs, and big, fine, exclusive restaurants. Right? So, you know, it's not what it was really about. The movement got hijacked not long ago. The black man in America was fed another dose of another form of weakening, lulling, and diluting effects of so-called integration. It was the farce on Washington, right? So um, before I say that, though, let me say this. Negroes um, revolting all over the country. This is the situation which permitted Negro combustion to slowly build up to the revolution point without the white man realizing it. All over America, the local Negro leader, so-called leader, in order to survive as a so-called leader, kept reassuring the white man in effect, everything's all right. Everything is right at hand, boss. When the leader wanted a little something for his people, uh, boss, some of the people talking about we uh, should need better schools, boss. And if the local Negroes hadn't been causing any trouble, the benevolent white man might nod and give them a school or some jobs, right? Unaware that this thing is boiling over because they like not connected to the people. They don't know. And he's telling them like, come on, it's, it's boiling over. This is what's really going on. Not long ago, the black man in America was fed another dose Another form of the weakening, lulling, and diluting effects of so-called integration, it was that farce on Washington. So he's talking about the March on Washington, which when you look at the timeline for Martin Luther King, right, 
that March on Washington is 1963, where he gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. Malcolm X is letting you know it's a farce. The idea of mass of blacks marching on Washington was originally the brainchild of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, A. Philip Randolph. For 20 or more years, the March on Washington idea had floated around among Negroes and spontaneously, suddenly now that idea caught on. Overall, rural Southern Negroes, small town Negroes, Northern ghetto Negroes, even thousands of previously Uncle Tom Negroes been talking March. Right. So um, you had all these people talking about going to Washington, D.C. OK, this was a national bitterness. So people from all walks of life, militant, unorganized and leaderless. Predominantly, it was young Negroes defiant of whatever might be the consequences, sick and tired of the black man's neck under the white man's heel. The white man had plenty of good reasons for nervous worry. The right spark, some unpredictable emotional chemistry could set off a black uprising, right? The government knew that thousands of milling, angry blacks could not, com uh, could not only, um, not only could completely disrupt Washington, but they could erupt in Washington. The White House speedily invited in the major civil rights Negro leaders. So he's telling you, he's calling it a farce on Washington. He's telling you what really happened. It's like there was real anger that was boiling over that affected all the different classes. They've been talking about, let's do something. They're finally coming together. Let's go to Washington. So you have young people who don't care about the consequences. And they're worried. They're like, okay, this might actually be the uprising. So the White House speedily invited in the major civil rights Negro leaders. They were asked to stop the planned march. They truthfully said they hadn't begun it. They had no control over it. The idea was national, spontaneous, unorganized, and leaderless. In other words, it was a black powder keg. So they didn't have any control of it, so they had to get control of it. Okay, so remember, this is a part of the legacy. We're not hiding things, okay? Any student of how integration can weaken the black man's movement was about to observe a master lesson. The White House with a fanfare of international publicity. And we putting this out here because like this stuff gets distorted. I showed you how, how the, the, the FBI, you know, they were following Martin Luther King. They were bugging his house. They even the hotels he stayed in, they're sending them letters showing them how they have video footage of him cheating on his wife and how he's despicable and they're going to expose him unless he kills himself. They're doing all this. And then now 2022, 20, 2023, 2021, whatever year they, on his birthday, they, the FBI puts out a tweet like we respect Martin Luther King and Look how we have his quote etched in stone in front of the FBI training headquarters. Right. So they giving you this candy, um, silly, soft, super watered down version of reality, of history, of what's really going on. So they're not going to tell you this. OK. And yes, the brother lost his life. They killed him. Right. Because he was thinking about going to the other side. So let's hear what the other side has to say. And that's how we pay respect 
to the brother. Let's see what the other side had to say. So the White House, with the fanfare of international publicity, approved, endorsed, and welcomed the march in Washington. This is what you have happen, like with the king. The king's uh, worried that there's going to be an uprising, right? So he just approves whatever it is that the people needed, wanted. Okay? He couldn't stop it. So he just gives a sign of approval to save his own life. Um, the big civil rights organizations right at this time had been publicly squabbling about donations. The New York Times had broken the story. The NAACP had charged that other agencies' demonstrations, highly publicized, had attracted a major part of the civil rights donations, while the NAACP got left holding the bag, supplying costly bail and legal talent for other organizations, jail demonstrators. It was like a movie. The next scene was the big six civil rights Negro leaders meeting in New York City with the white head of a big Philadelphia. philanthropic agency (laughs) they were told that their money wrangling in public was damaging their image and a reported 800,000 was donated to a united civil rights leadership council that was quickly organized by the big six now what had instantly achieved black unity the white man's money what string was attached to the money advice right you anything but no there's money now we're gonna tell you what to do not only was there this donation but another comparable sum was com- promised for some time later on after the march obviously it fallen and went well the original angry march on washington was now about to be entirely changed massive international publicity projected the big six as march on washington leaders it was news to those angry grassroots Negroes steadily adding steam to their march plans. They probably assumed that these now famous leaders were endorsing and joining them. He got leaders in quotation marks like so-called leaders, right? So they being these big six civil rights leaders are being promoted as the leaders of the Washington March. These people who were really angry, right? They getting this pissing them off, but then they're like, okay, maybe they're coming to help us to join us. Invited next to join the march were four famous white public figures, one Catholic, one Jew, one Protestant, and one labor boss. The massive publicity now gently hinted that the Big Ten would supervise the march on Washington's mood and its direction. The four white figures began nodding. The word spread fast among so-called liberal Catholics, Jews, Protestants, and laborites. It was democratic to join this black march. And suddenly the previous March nervousness whites began announcing they were going. So even the Europeans who were who were nervous about the March, now they all joining in. That's letting you know. That ought to let you know just like right off bat, yo, something ain't right about this. This is how everything works. All this fake stuff that they're doing, this is how it all works. So um, let's go back to this. Right, and this is these are the words of Malcolm X. He's letting you know about the march on Washington, the farce on Washington. You're not gonna hear it anywhere else. This brother was connected to the pulse of the streets. He knew what was really going on. Okay, and then he knew what was going on behind the scenes as he was putting in work out there on a national and even international level. The massive. Uh, oh, so 
He's saying that uh, it was as if electrical current shot through the ranks of bourgeois Negroes, the very so-called middle and upper class who had earlier been deploring the March on Washington talk by the grassroots Negroes. Now, all of a sudden, they, oh, the march is a good thing. Yeah. So now the white people going to march, everybody's going to march. The angry blacks march suddenly had been made chic. Suddenly it had a Kentucky Derby image for the status seeker. It was a status symbol. Were you there? Right. And you can hear that still today. Yeah. Yeah. Still people. Oh, I was at the march at Washington. The marchers had been instructed to bring no signs. Signs were provided. <laughs> it's like it was corporate. It went corporate. They've been told to sing one song. We shall overcome. This week. This is real. This is the legacy. So they're giving. They, you, don't, you don't have to bring your own signs. We got signs already. We only want one message. One message. We shall overcome. It's the only song we're going to sing. They have been told how to arrive, when, where to arrive, where to assemble, when to start marching, the route to march, first aid stations were strategically located, even where to faint. This is where you can faint, right here. Faint right here, Negroes, over there. Yes, I was there. I observed that circus. Whoever heard of angry revolutionists all harmonizing, we shall overcome someday. While tripping and swaying along arm in arm with the very people they were supposed to be angrily revolting against. Whoever heard of angry revisionists swinging their bare feet together with their oppressor in lily pad park pools with gospels and guitars and I have a dream speeches. And all the black masses in America were and still are having a nightmare. These angry revolutionists even followed their final instructions to leave early. All these thousands and thousands of angry revolutionists so Few stayed over that next morning. The Washington Hotel Association reported a costly loss in empty rooms. Hollywood couldn't have topped it. Right? So he's letting you know this is this is a joke. The people got duped. The very fact that millions, black and white, believed in this monumental farce is another example of how much this country goes in for the surface glossing over the escape rules, surfaces instead of truly dealing with its deep-rooted problems. What that March on Washington did do was lull Negroes for a while, but inevitably the black masses started realizing they had been smoothly hoaxed again by the white man. And inevitably the black man's anger rekindled deeper than ever and thus began bursting out in different cities in the long, hot summer of 1964. You'll read his uh, biography. He always talks about that. So right after the march, it was in 63. But guess what? 64 riots popping up Harlem everywhere we were living at all over the country right because it didn't fix anything they're not in here okay let's change laws let's do things so that you guys are in power no uh-uh no about a month before the farce on washington the new york times had reported malcolm x as the second most sought after speaker at colleges and universities right so he He's just letting it be known what's really going on. And like you was saying, the long, hot summer of 1964 in Harlem and Rochester and other cities has given an idea of what could happen, and that's all. Only an idea. 
for all those riots were kept contained within where the Negroes lived. You let any of these bitter, seething ghettos all over America receive the right igniting incident and become really inflamed and explode and burst out of their boundaries into where the whites live in New York City. You let enraged blacks pour out of Harlem across Central Park and fan down the tunnels of Madison and Fifth and Lexington and Park Avenues or take Chicago's South Side and older, even worse slum. Uh, you let those Negroes swarm downtown. You let Washington, D.C.'s festering blacks head down Pennsylvania Avenue. Detroit has already seen a peaceful massing of more than 100,000 blacks. Think about that. You name the city. Black social dynamite is in Cleveland, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Los Angeles. The black man's anger is there fermenting. And it's still like this today. Um, the black man in North America was mentally sick in his cooperative sheep-like acceptance of the white man's culture the black man in north america was spiritually sick because for centuries he had accepted the white man's christianity which asked the black so-called christian to expect no true brotherhood of man but to endure the cruelties of the white so-called christians christianity had made black men fuzzy nebulous confused in their thinking it had taught the black man to think if he had no shoes and was hungry we gonna get shoes and milk and honey and fish and fries in heaven Okay, so once again, this is you got to hear from the other side. No one else is going to tell it and, and let it be known the truth. And especially now, like I said, man, you got the FBI. They, they was torturing this man. They, they was trying to tell him to kill himself or they were going to expose him. They sent in the videos of them, you know, cheating to him and his wife. They letting them know, look, we're going to tell everybody if you don't kill yourself. But now they they act like we honor him. On his birthday, everybody's honoring him. Come on, man. All right. So, um, and just some others. I'll just share a little bit more. Malcolm has said it's because black men don't own and control their own communities, retail establishments, and they can't stabilize their own community. Black man in North America was sickest of all politically. When a 10 million black vote, black vote block could be the deciding balance of power in American politics because the white man's vote is almost always evenly divided. The block vote, this is what the profit started. Like we, but they got us all on this stupid mess, voting emotionally, vote Democrat, no matter what, right? This is what everybody respects and understands. If a black block vote committee told Washington's worst N-word hater, we represent 10 million votes. Why that N-word hater would leap up. Well, how are you? Come on in here. Right? But they're not doing it. He, he even said he brought up Tammany Hall. Immigrants once made Tammany Hall the most powerful single force in American politics. And that would, if the march on Washington was real, why didn't they do that? Why didn't they make it happen? Man, I any march on Washington, you know? And I don't want to disrespect anyone, but, you know, even our brother who had the big million man march, why didn't they get a dang, why didn't they get a block vote together? Right? Why? You want some power. They could have got something done right then and there. You got a million people, some of them. They are all grownups or, or at least about to be grownups. You know, for the most part, the people that's there, they're grown. Get it done. In Harlem, especially, and also in some other U.S. cities, the long 
1964, long hot summers predicted explosions had begun. Article after article in the white man's press, it casts, talking about Malcolm X, cast him as a symbol, if not a causative agent of the revolt and the violence of the American black man, like he started it all. Wherever it sprung up, didn't matter if it was in Cleveland, wherever. And he said that the reporters try to bait him with that. And he slipped in on a reporter something they hadn't been expecting. Said that the American black man needed to quit thinking what the white man had taught him, which is that the black man had no alternative except to beg for so-called civil rights. Said the American black man needed to recognize he had a strong, airtight case to take to the United Nations. Take the United, uh, United States up um, before the United Nations on a formal accusation of denial of human rights. If Angola and South Africa were precedent cases, there would be no easy way that the U.S. could escape being censored right on its own home ground. Right. Um, he said also Negro African-Americans showed no inclination to rush to the United Nations and demand justice for themselves here in America. Right. So, it, you know, it's unfortunate and too bad. But um, for the most part, I wanted you to see this because he kept talking about this. The long hot summers. Right. 1964, long hot summer, steadily producing new incidents. I was constantly accused of stirring up Negroes or inciting violence. He said it, it takes no one to stir up the sociological dynamite that stems from the unemployment, bad housing and inferior education already in the ghettos. This explosively criminal condition has existed for so long and needs no fuse. It fuses itself. It spontaneously combusts from within itself. So you saw that, though, about the whole farce on Washington. That's what was really going on. OK, what we get is the candy down, soft, watered down version that's safe. This was safe then and safe now. This is why they'll teach it. This is why the FBI who was trying to kill Martin Luther King, who was torturing this dude, will pay respect to him now. In the 1964 long hot summer, riots in major cities across the United States, the socially disinherited black ghetto youth were always at the forefront. In this year, 1965, I'm certain that more and worse riots are going to erupt in yet more cities in spite of the conscience-salving civil rights bill. That ain't going to stop anything, and it didn't. The reason is that the cause of these riots, the racial malignancy in America has been long too unattended. Right? So he's like letting you know what was really going on and how... Uh, well, you saw here how Alex Haley sent him a clip from the New York Times talking about how Dr. King's meeting with all these uh, Negro intellectuals in New York. And he's letting it be known that like he's going to have to go in the direction of Malcolm X because it's getting bad. Now he's saying this after the March on Washington, which Malcolm X let you know was a farce on Washington. He's like, look, I'm going to have to move in this direction. And this led to his death because he's got people around him that he's confiding in. They working for the FBI. You're already under surveillance, so the FBI is watching him, and they know, oh, he's talking about going in that direction. He just met with Malcolm X for the first time in 1964. He's getting this. He's he's starting to feel like he's integrating his people into a burning house. He, he can't trust anybody. He's telling Harry Belafonte he fears he's 
integrating his people into a burning house. You, you can't tell him that. <laughs> you think he's just keeping that to himself? So you, he's letting the people know he, he's not so sure about it. You know, he, he needs to move towards the real revolution. And that's what led to him being murdered. Right. Only four years after meeting with Malcolm X, too. 1968. That's what truly led to that. And, um, you know, so I'm saying this is what was really going on in that time. It was a crazy time. Um, the leaders were being co-opted and used. And that's just the truth. Right. It's not, a, you know, shot at anyone in particular. It's just the truth of the matter. Right. Um, there's a complicated man. And that's what was really going on at that time. Right. So, you know, it was really like um, the race riot that happened in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, let's see. This happened actually in 1898, where our people were the majority in Wilmington, North Carolina's population. The entire city was um, being controlled, operated by our people. Most people there owned homes and um, people, you know, all the bit, most of the businesses in the city were owned by us. Some of the houses were oceanfront, right? Prime real estate city was independently uh, Asiatic owned, meaning having their own banks, newspapers, the entire government. And then on November 10th, 1898, the uh, European um, community, the insurgents, they overthrew the elected government and forced the Asiatic leaders out of the city. They massacred families, burned down their homes and businesses. All right. And it was considered the only successful coup uh, where you had just sudden violence and the legal seizure of power from a government in American history. But we know that's not the only one. Right. This happened in Tulsa. This happened all over the country. And a lot, most of the people never who survived never regained their land and definitely didn't regain their power. Then all their financial assets were stolen. Okay. And so this is the type of stuff that was going on. This was 1898, you know, so kind of like early 1900s, turn of the century. But this was going on throughout the 20s, 30s, 40s, even the 50s. And then as you saw, when you had that coincidental rising, which wasn't a coincidence, the rising of Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks happened the same year, just months after uh, Emmett Till's death. People were tired of this stuff. That's why they had to, okay, we got to push the civil rights thing now. We got to push it now. And that's why when some of them started to, like Brother Megger Evers, and the brother, Dr. Martin Luther King, when they started to to um, reconsider their position and say, OK, we need to move over here. We need to at least meet with these people like Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad, hear them out, see what they're talking about, see if we can make this work. That's why they got killed. Soon as they started to move in that direction, it was the end. OK, because this is what it was really about, the power grab. And that's the version of the story and of the history of the legacy that you won't get from the mainstream because the mainstream is weak. It's going to give you this soft version that has been deemed safe because still to this day, they still fear us having power, having control of our own destiny. 
having control of the country. That's what it's really about, people. That's what it was about then, and that's what it's about now, and that's why we're doing this, and that's why I'm going to ask you to like and share this video. We're going to go ahead and close things out. I know this has been pretty long, but I think this is um, educational and something that everybody can learn something from. So make sure you share this with your friends and family. Thank you for coming around. Appreciate you all. We're going to go ahead and close things out. Um, everybody subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Um, make sure you share this with your friends and family a couple times, not just on Martin Luther King's birthday. Share it, share it throughout the year. All right. And um, on that note, though, we're gonna go ahead and get out of here. Peace and love. I appreciate you all. Thank you all for showing love in the comments. Gratitude, gratitude. And we know that the Moors more than likely knew, you know, what they were going through. But, you know, at the same time, just just being respectful. You know why? Because, I mean, this is not here to demonize any of these people. That's not how I come at it. Right. But um, I'm just trying to be respectful. But at the same time, you know, you, you know, I don't agree with this stuff. That's why I show the pictures of the KKK with the whole Jesus Jesus loves sign behind him. It should be obvious how I feel about this stuff, but most people don't feel like me. Most of y'all comfortable, you know, being Christian and comfortable with a lot of this craziness that's going on. Some of y'all listen to the baby, even though he out here <laughs> looking insane, you know, having the, the dude in the baby costume up here humping women on stage and they just like, doing all this ridiculous craziness a lot of people cool with that stuff i'm not cool with any of that mess all right and i know most people don't feel like me so i'm just you know being respectful man i mean that's that's about as you know respectful as i could be okay and so you know that's that's why i'm doing it like that but um on that note though you know and then nobody's perfect too you know some people well nobody's all good or all bad right so some people you know that's just that's their bad side and we can see it because they got played they were out in the public and so you see all of their demons but for everyone else you, you don't see their demons you know you don't know about you know what they're willing to do what they're willing to um you know do that they might not be in the best interest of their people you don't know but these guys were out here in the forefront for whatever reason. They put themselves out there. And so we could see all their dirty laundry. Right. So, um, you know, not trying to act like any of us are perfect. But uh, this is, you know, just trying to give you a more well-rounded view of everything. Legacy. You see the brother was having um, second thoughts. He, um, you know, may have wanted to actually do more good for his people. And that ultimately led to his demise because they were not going to let that happen. You, you saw the stuff about the Negro project. This stuff was real, man. It was real. And they really co-opted the Negro preachers. They got the Negro doctors and the Negro uh, nurses and the performers. They got the people making the music. That is the same formula we see to this day, right? They get the Negro preachers to keep those people pacified. A lot of people ain't even going to church anymore, so that doesn't work as good. But they get the 
They get the medical professionals on board and they get the people making the music to keep you lullified, to keep you dulled down and asleep. You know? And so, you know, I'm 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 just pointing that out for the people. And um on that note though, we're gonna go ahead and close it out. <laughs> I do want to just say thank you everybody for showing love. Make sure you click like and share and um Subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. All right. And on that note, we out. Peace and love.